Welcome to the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio. We're happy to Come be on. back with you on this uh, lovely spring, all of a sudden turned summer here in Seattle. Absolutely. Happy Memorial Day weekend. It's going to be an exciting uh, picnic time for so many of us. Yeah. And hopefully you're out there in the park listening to our show. Turn up, loud the, turn up the volume on the loudspeaker. We can do the whole memorial picnic. Yeah, we want everyone at Golden Gardens to embrace us. <laughs> that would be exactly. awesome. We're happy to have a, somewhat of a live audience. Are you guys alive? Yeah, okay. All right. Oh, good have, spirit. Team spirit. Good team spirit. Uh, if you want to come join our live audience, it's, it's quiet today, but uh, sometimes we have a full house. Sometimes we have a couple of people, so... Come join us for breakfast and coffee here at the Hot Stove. We're in the beautiful, remodeled, and lovely Hotel Andra. Fantastic Have place. you had a chance to check out the new room designs here? Yes. And it looks absolutely marvelous. Yes. I mean, a staycation here is definitely not to be uh, forgotten. Exactly. You know, it's we did beautiful. our thing for Mother's Day. We have to think of another contest to run. Yes, and the hotel's excited about it, and it wants to help us, which oh, I, really? I didn't There's get them on board for the last time, but they're all in now. They're all in. If you want to join us here in the kitchen, just go to hotstovesociety.com and uh, buy a ticket. 25 bucks comes with breakfast and a hot cup of coffee. If you can't make the show, we're on YouTube Live. Hi, YouTubers. Hello, YouTubers. That are watching us, go to Tom Douglas & Co., and you can uh, pick up our feed on YouTube. And we tape generally tape on Thursday mornings. We're both uh, we taped an extra show this week because we're both you're in Hawaii next week, yeah, and I'm in Scotland next week. That's right. Yeah. Woohoo! So. I'm by myself. And where are you, Pam? <laughs> oh, Ballard. Where's our producer Pamela next week in Ballard? Uh, Ballard. <laughs> that's all right. We're going to talk about Bala. Memorial Day picnics today, including what to make as your protein and what maybe are some appropriate sides to go with it. Uh, the co-founders of the pastry, not the pasty project, the pastry <laughs> project, Emily Kim that. and Heather Hodge, join us to talk about their job training program. And this I'm very curious about because I have a lot of feelings about chocolate chip cookies. I know this. Yeah. Because they say that they have the perfect chocolate chip cookie recipe. So if you're not listening, you're not going to find out what that is. The fun and joy of making sushi and onigiri at home and customize your own quick pickles. You are fascinated with quick pickles. I am. And then we talked about it yesterday with rhubarb, too. I never thought about pickling rhubarb. Um, but I've It's got in a... my book. Have you never read my book? Well, then I was embarrassed, and I went and grabbed your book. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is how you make them really. But I've, since I've been making more um, Israeli food now, there's always pickles. And it says, you know... Do you some honor to your food by making your own quick pickles? So uh-huh. I've got to get my hands around it's it. It's pretty darn simple. Yeah, it's uh, very you know, simple. You don't even have Save to eat it for the vinegar the if you don't want to, just so you know. Okay. And then f- uh, f- wrapping up, you know, last week you threw a curveball and put Food for Thought Tasty Trivia in the third segment of the first hour. I can't yeah. wait to hear what... It wasn't even the last segment. I'm going to get I can't mail. wait to hear what people are going to say. You know what they're going to say, Chef? Nice of Terry to, to show up for the show after you sleeping in last week. Is, is that what they're, they're going to say? say? Yeah, that's uh-huh. exactly what they're going to sure. say. Sure. Uh, you know, I've been doing evening spots, uh, the, the TV show on King 5, uh, for the last 10, 12 years. And yesterday I did them at my home because the hot stove was right, busy. We Normally busy. I tape them right here at the hot stove. So the TV station came to my home, which, God. You know, cleaning up for TV. Too much. Too much work. Couldn't you just do it at the beach or something? Yeah, exactly. But then I have to drag all that stuff down there. You know, I have a pretty nice kitchen at my house, Pamela. Uh, uh, Your kitchen is very well ready for that. Oh, yeah. Uh, Anyway, 
I did this spot, and so I'm, I'm going to talk about my taste of the week last night because, you know, it's been hot around here, and we have to think about in summertime, how do you cook at home, get inspired to cook at home, and not have the ovens on and, you know, all the burners going and all the stuff that you might do, like when Chef Terry's cooking because he's such a fancy cook. It fancy. takes every burner, every oven, every pot do you know in, how I in the house. So, but me, I did this thing for evening which was a 10-minute meal. <laughs> a 10-minute meal. A 10-minute meal. And I know you laugh at this, Chef, because you're thinking, well, I'm gonna well time you just, you. I'm you gonna just time stopped you. at McDonald's is what you I'm, did. I'm going to time you, yeah. Yeah. Uh, fregola, the Sardinian fregola, which is toasted. Big fan. Kind of toasted couscous in a yeah. way. And right. big uh, chunks of pasta, like the Israeli couscous, but a little bit square. Right. Toasted, already in a bag, ready to go, cooks in 10 minutes. While that's cooking in 10 minutes, in one pan of boiling water... You saute chopped asparagus, fresh spring peas, mushrooms, mint leaves, all these little things in um, lemon extra virgin olive oil. Mm -hmm. Dress your salad, put a little can of St. Jude's tuna on top. You've got the most beautiful springy, summerish, 10-minute meal with barely a burner on. Mm. Oh, so good. Frigola, I, I'm I, so uh, surprised you like that. How about that? I garnish with chive, <laughs> chive blossoms. I like how she's surprised you like that. It was beautiful. Well, she's surprised about a lot of things. I was I surprised. I've been knowing Pam for almost 45 years now. Pam picked up the tab at dinner last night for the first time that I can remember in the history of our relationship. Good for you. Good for you. <laughs> we went to a restaurant on your recommendation Happy last night, Eight Row. Eight row over in oh, Green Oh, was it, it was good? Delicious. Good fun. Ah, it's Absolutely. a great restaurant. Nice wine list, but yeah, Pam picked up the tab. <laughs> you could have blown me over with a feather. Uh, Chef, and your taste of the week. Well, <laughs> my taste of the week was a little... I had a, a, a primary steak in my freezer. A couple of days ago, I pulled it out, threw it out, and pan fry it in a cast iron pan with just salt, pepper, and fresh thyme mm-hmm. chopped on top. That's all. But the side of that was absolutely... Um, Empty the refrigerator because we're going to be leaving for Hawaii tomorrow. So it was like trying to empty the refrigerator. So uh, half of a nine dive, a couple leaves of lettuce. That was the base to the salad that was going to be with it. And then I had a a few spinach left. I had some mushroom. So I did all this in the same cast ironing pan Then I was doing the steak. So I did the steak first. Ah, yes. and, And then I put the steak to rest on the side. And then I, um, and I cooked it rare first. I put it on the side, let it rest. And then with all that fat that had rendered, because it's a very fatty uh, steak, because it was from a ranch in eastern Washington, beautiful fat. So I rendered the whole fat, cooked my, I had two small potatoes that were boiled. I cut them in small pieces, sauteed them in the, in the fat, put the spinach, put the mushroom, tossed the whole thing together, did a quick little saute of all that, salt, pepper, put that on the side, put the steak back in the pan, you know, and cook it to medium rare because my wife is not a big fan of rare. So anyway, am I for that. Cook that, yeah. cook that medium rare, and then take it out again, let it rest. Oh my god! And just a bounty of vegetables. It was over just it. all those vegetables around it, and that salad. It mm. was so delicious. Sounds and delicious, chef. Thanks for the invite. That was awesome. <laughs> Pam and I. And I will picked be- up the tab. <laughs> If Pam hadn't been buying last night, I would have come to your house. <laughs> On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show. Let's talk Memorial Day picnics when we come back. 97.3 FM. From your feet to your head, you knock me dead. You're my meat. I got you covered, but baby, you're my meat. Going on a picnic, leaving right away. 
If it doesn't rain, we'll stay all day. Did you bring the sandwiches? Yes, I brought the sandwiches. Did you bring the salad? Yes, I brought the salad. And we're back doing push-ups here at the Hot Stove on Cairo Radio. Uh, I'm Tom Douglas. And I'm Thierry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. I'm chef owner of a few joints around town. I have... I, sh- I always say chef owner, but we have tons of chefs. Oh, yeah. And they do all the work. So I don't, I'm, I'm, You're the big chef. I'm now the, uh, what do you call me, Pam? You always called me founder. the founder. I'm the founder. The founder. Of TV & Co. You almost exactly. buried there, Tug. That's almost the end there. I, oh, I totally get it. You're not the founder. Uh, creative visionary. Well, what does Amy do then? Uh, I guess I'm the creative visionary. She makes it all happen. She's the implementer. Yeah. She's yeah. the finisher. When Pam used to work for us, we used to call her the finisher because both E.T. and I love the ideas, and then they just kind of louder. But isn't that cool to have somebody like Pam to be able to finish what oh, you think about? Absolutely. I mean, the day, she, uh, the day she left us is the day that I cried myself to sleep. Uh-oh. Yeah. I mean, I would too because it's beautiful to have a, a dream of uh, creativity and then somebody makes it. Chef, it's time to talk about uh, what we're having as the main course of our Memorial Day picnic. And then we'll come back in the next segment and fill in with sides uh, as we go around it. And earlier in the show, I told you I was doing evening magazine shoots. Yep. I call it evening magazine. It's called evening. Yes. That's at okay. my house. And the second one I did was a flank steak. I had gotten a Mishima Reserve flank steak yep. at the Ballard Market. Yep. And I did, I'm surprised that it, see, it's out there kind of in grocery now. Right. Where it used to be a real specialized meat. Mishima Reserve is owned by Beecher's Cheese. Sure, sure. So anyway, I bought it because I saw it and... Why not? And put it in the freezer. Yesterday I did my show. I pulled it out, pounded it out uh, after it thawed. I pounded it out and just did a simple salt and pepper grill on it. But here's, my, here's the little trick I did. And this would work for your Memorial Day picnic. At uh, the cheese shop I was at, they had these soft, ripened, annatto seed-colored soupy cheeses. What's a soupy cheese? You know, like a poisse. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Like, oh, you mean like, like really ripe? When you cut the top off, oh, you my actually God, yeah. spoon the... Yeah. Well, the cheeses were overripe. And so they had them on sale half price. Perfect. So I had put this in my fridge, and I'm thinking flank steak, cheese. I love a good cheesesteak. So I cooked the flank steak. I made a salsa verde. All the fresh herbs at Prosser Farm are, uh, are all sprouted. Garlic sure. chives, chives, tarragon. Everything's ready to go. I made a little salsa verde. But after I cooked the flank, rare... I drizzled the cheese, the soft, ripened cheese over the top. You know, flank is pretty lean generally. Of course. Just drizzled that soupy cheese over the top. Oh, my God, it was a revelation. And so I'm thinking Memorial Day picnic, what a great way. If you've got a little hot dog bun or something like that and you want a little homemade cheese steak, you just simply do that flank steak with the cheese on the top. So you'd have to have a barbecue because you'd, you'd grill it on the spot, right? Well, you, it would you be fine room head. temperature. You, you just you don't want to chill it. Right, you don't want to get it But you could cold. do it room temperature. Yeah, 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 room temp would be fine. Oh, chef. Have yeah, you no, ever? I, I have you ever? No, but uh, that sounds super delicious. It's just put my big soup spoon in there and drizzle the warm cheese over the top. Are you kidding me? Oh, my God. Who needs a cheese sauce when you've got a great little... So it was an Italian uh, three milk uh, cheese, and I can't remember the name of it now. So That's anyway. okay. It's, it, it was half delicious. price. I, I, think, I think this time of year, if I'm going to go on a picnic, I'm going to go with salmon. I mean, salmon just came out, the Copper River especially. I'm going to poach it ahead of time and make it cold to go like, like a, a style of, uh, and we'll talk in the next segment about all the garnishes, but to go like an Anisoise salad idea where I don't want to work hard when I'm at the beach. 
Oh, I'd, uh, wherever I am going for the picnic, I don't want to work that hard. I want to have everything ready. Plus, more importantly, I want everything tasty. So the marinated potatoes, you know, make sure that everything is marinated in the dressing ahead of time so it's got flavor, you know, not the last minute and everything is like, you know, dry on your mouth. So I want to make sure that I have all that taken care of. And the salmon, if you poach it the day before and you keep it in your refrigerator and you can just put it out just like you would a tuna, canned tuna, but it just comes apart really nicely to make mm-hmm. a wonderful salad. Bring the lettuce with you, and then that's the only thing you season, a big giant bowl. Bring the lettuce, season everything on the spot, and you get a wonderful salmon niçoise. Mm, lovely. Tell me about the poaching. So the poaching would be you could use white wine and water, or you could use just white wine, or you could use fish stock if you have any, like I do. Mm-hmm. I happen to have my halibut bones fish stock that I made a few months ago and put a bunch bunch of containers in the freezer, I would use that and I would bring it to a boil. I would put probably a few seeds of coriander, black peppercorn, you know, just something to season even more the, the fumé. And as soon as it comes to a boil, I would just turn it down, put my salmon in there and turn the fire off and let the salmon be poached very gently into that fumé. A few hours later, I would put it out of there and it would be totally beautiful and cooked. Hours? No. Well, well, because it's sure, but you can also put it in the fridge in that fish stock. Right, that's what I would chill do. Chill the whole thing together. Yeah. Uh, after it's cooked, you mean? Yeah, after or it's cooked. not marinating it in the. While it's in the stock. While it's in the stock. Because so, the, the, you can't really overcook it. If you turn off the fire, and I mean, remember, Copper River is not thin salmon, it's pretty thick. You put, you know, if you put a piece, like a two pound piece, in the middle of that fumé, that fumé is going to cool down pretty quickly. And then you put the rest in the fridge. But tomorrow... So, Chef, let's take some of the guesswork out of it, though, for Pam. And, and if you were to put an instant read thermometer in that fish, you're putting it into a, a stock that is at simmer. So it's at about 210 degrees. Right. You're putting your fish into that. It's going to naturally bring the temperature down. Right. If it's a, literally a, a Copper River King, yeah. you're going to be an inch and a half thick. Correct. So you're going to have to cook it a little bit. Yeah, but it's going to... Unlike a sockeye, which is only... a Half inch to three quarters of an inch, that it would cook just in that broth. I think it will cook if you leave it in that broth. I think it will cook enough. I mean, but if, let's know. just say you want to be, you don't okay. want raw fish so, out on your picnic. Here's the explanation: Wait till your salmon is about a hundred and you're going to look at a hundred and twenty, hundred twenty-five. If it's still, if it's a hundred twenty-five and your broth still has a little bit of heat, just leave it in there. Yeah. It would be fine. If it's still cooking, though, right. you've got to pull it out for a minute and then let it rest in the broth. Yeah. Or right. pull it at 110, 115 and let the broth finish to job. Right. So it's just sometimes it's hard because you, you have a sense, and a lot of people at home don't have that same sense. So you've got to give them a little bit. In my mind, that's what thermometers are for, is, right? right. You, you take some of the guesswork out of True. your cooking. And whether you're cooking a steak. You pick in the middle of the thickest place of the salmon. If you're reading... 125, you're plenty fine. Plenty fine, yeah. Plenty fine. Thank it's, you. And it's more where you like it. You like yeah. it medium, uh, as, I, as do I. If I want yeah. raw fish, I want sashimi. Right. I don't uh, want it raw. I, want... I don't want it raw. I'm not looking for raw. Yeah. But the, <coughs> what you're looking for is something that's going to be. And by leaving it in the stock, you get that moisture stay with the fish. And the next morning, you will also discover the gelatin that will be from the fish into the stock. So your, fi- your stock will be more gelatinous. You All right, eat, so now we have that. ribs, we have chicken wings, we've got flank steak, we've got salmon. Let's, make some, let's make some sides when we come back to go sure. with our 
with our for our Memorial Day picnic on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, ninety-seven three FM. Here we go. We're going to finish uh, Memorial Day. Chef, you're invited to my Memorial Day picnic. Thank it'll, you. It'll be in Scotland. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. It'll be in Scotland. I better get going now. <laughs> and uh, that's quite a long flight from Hawaii. So. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> uh, Pamela, where are you celebrating Memorial Day? Golden Gardens. Golden Gardens. All I right. I want to do a drum circle. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Of course you are. And a, like a 100-day gong. You're going to start 100 days in advance, but yeah. since we don't have 100 days. There you go. There it is. The beginning of our 100-day gong. When is that up? Uh, sometime the end of July is, or August, maybe, something like that. Pamela, you heard a bunch of different proteins that we talked about. What are you going to serve so that we can fill in with some sides? Lamb burgers. That's nothing that we mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing we didn't say. <laughs> okay, so we got lamb burgers. Are they on a bun or are they salad? No, no we, they're going to be on, on the sides. So no wherever bread. you're going, you're expecting to have a grill, number one. Yeah. Which is presumptuous. Although I saw this new portable gas Weber that you just carry like a suitcase <laughs> no, and I'm thinking about no buying. gas Webers they, in my friends' households. I'm going to chop kind of, down a tree. cheese on this grill? No. On this lamb? No, no. You don't no put cheese. cheese. You don't put cheese on lamb. No, you don't. No. You guys uh-huh. don't put Whatever. cheese. What about feta? You know, people do feta on lamb all the time. Oh, that's, that is yeah, a classic. It's a cheese. Uh, so we got a lamb burger, blah, blah, blah. Chef, what are you going to add as a side dish? That, gonna do, that, I, that's going to wow somebody. Don't come in to me with macaroni salad now. I know that's your favorite. Uh, you, you, you're assuming. That's the last thing I would do, a macaroni salad, actually. <laughs> I would never think of that. Um, I'm going to do a couscous salad. Oh, okay. With some roasted peppers and it's some... pasta, the same thing, mac salad, couscous, they're oh, both pasta. Okay, let's be technical here. Okay. I got beautiful saffron couscous I pre-cooked already. It's cold. I'm going to throw in some onions, some peppers. Uh, some oh, wait, ro- wait, wait, Pam, do you eat raw onions and peppers? Yeah. Okay. But she doesn't have a it's choice. It's her picnic. First of, it's her lamb burger. Yeah, she's bringing the burgers. I'm bringing the side dish. Okay, all right. I mean, you don't like it? Uh, mint, uh, olive oil, lots of olives. All these things mixed together, so it makes a wonderful salad. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that would be a nice garnish to a beautiful uh, lamb burger. But I think so, too. And I'm going to bring uh, asparagus, the big, fat Yakima asparagus. Yeah. I had it the other day, again, my third time already. So good this year. Uh, I peel the ends so that they're not tough, and then I'm going to make a harissa aioli out of it. So just, just a nice, nice garlicky aioli. But here's the trick. There's a type of harissa out there. You hear Terry talk about it. But I like the rose hip harissa. Oh, yeah. I just love the fragrance of it. And it's, a, it's the same kind of hot chili paste, but it's got rose hips, ground yep. rose hips in it. And it's, uh, you can find it in many markets. Probably not your typical grocery store, but any sort of Mediterranean market probably would have that. So. 
Yeah, I mean, De Laurentiis carries De Laurentiis does. And, uh, I, I, just, I, I, I didn't buy it. It looked weird. Because you made way too much um, Arisa aioli. I'm going to use some of that. I'm going to have some hard boiled eggs, and I'm going to take the yolk and mix in ah. that harissa, pipe it back in, and we can have some deviled harissa aioli eggs mm-hmm. for, you know, as a side dish to the couscous and the lamb burger. Well, since you're making everything the same flavor now on our picnic, I'm going to have to jump out and do something a little bit different. I'm going to take, uh, this is a, a South Philly tradition, right, where you take green bell peppers and you layer them with hot chili paste. I mean, this is, I'm talking not harissa. Harissa can be hot, but it's not typically super hot. But this is just like sambal, hot chili paste. Oh, really hot. Or just dried cascabal chilies okay. flakes. And layer them together with the green peppers. Put a weight on top and let the pepper cure the green pepper. What? Let the red hot pepper So you better cure. stop today. Yeah, you got to start today. Uh, it only takes, it takes a week maybe yeah. at the most. And they are blisteringly hot, but so flavorful and delicious. So that's my idea to go on top of your lamb burger. Oh, yeah, don't, no, that don't would look be good. scared. <laughs> you should be scared, actually. And because we'll talk about pickle in a different segment today, mm-hmm. I won't talk about it, but a few pickle. This is not a quick pickle. A little, no. a little quick pickle vegetable on top of your burger would be also very delicious. Mm-hmm. Thinking carrots right off the bat, because... Pickled carrots goes really well with grilled meat. I think it's a good example of, of how you can use pickled vegetables. Pam, last night at our supper, we had a green chickpea hummus. Uh, would you bring something like that to your uh, picnic with your lamb burgers? Oh, yeah. I think that would be lovely. But um, what I'm really craving is a crunchy, high citric slaw. Mm-hmm. And I love Napa cabbage mm-hmm. more, you know, a little, little lighter weight. But um, a really popular recipe that's circulating for the holiday is lime cilantro. Uh-huh. I was going to say lime Slaw. and grapefruit. Yeah. Oh, grapefruit. That yeah. is a great idea. Lime and, and I also grapefruit. like, uh, it was popular decades ago, but I like a broccoli slaw, too, where you can use up your stems mm-hmm. and you grate them and it's got more weight to it mm-hmm. than the Napa cabbage. Yeah. But anything that you can put lime, grapefruits. Coconut. Brilliant. You can put lime in the coconut. That's what they say. Oh, could you sing the song for us? <laughs> uh, so now there's a lot of people out there, Pamela, that don't eat lamb. And I know you're going to invite yeah. them anyway because you're that type of person. So you could go They're either it. vegetarian or they only eat corn dogs. No. So. <laughs> Well, so, um, last my, week... My wife, as you know, loves a good corn dog. I know. Uh, Eric Tanaka, your partner, he did these beautiful skewers of the um, purple sweet potatoes oh, yeah. mm-hmm. that were wonderful on the grill, and he alternated them with some mushrooms. Oh, and they caramelized beautifully. They really did. Yeah. It had that soft center and a nice crunch. I don't know. Would you just brush them with oil? It yeah. had something yeah. on them. Yeah. I'm going to do the same for... So that's a vegetarian thing. You can match that up with halloumi and figs, where you just yeah. skewer halloumi chunks with figs. We poach the figs and say red, Greek red wine or uh, to get them softened up, because if you put them on dried, they just become little rocks on yeah. the grill. So. Yeah, they dry but up. But if you poach them gently so that they're just softened but not fall apart, they work beautifully on a skewer. And in the spirit of the holiday, one uh, because it, this is the time to remember the, the people who have served mm-hmm. the United States. There, there's also uh, a version of making a flag cake with layers oh, yeah. of strawberries and blueberries in between to get the red, white, and blue. 
And I think some remembrance, as corny as that might sound, might be no, it's appropriate. Good. good and delicious. Great idea. It's just not the season, though. That's the problem. You might get a berry, a strawberry, but you're not going to get blueberries yet. So what could we substitute? I guess frozen Frozen berries. Yeah, Yeah, you can use frozen blueberry and raspberries. Mm -hmm. So we're having like a little sheet cake for dessert. You could make a trifle. That would be good because that would go better with the frozen stuff. Oh, that's a good idea. That would work better with the frozen fruits. More portable, too. Yeah. Looks cool through that glass. So we've got Lamburgers with uh, some sort of, I guess the Greeks don't eat cheese, apparently. Uh, some sort of nothing. <laughs> don't tell the feta producers. <laughs> I know, exactly. The Greeks don't um, eat cheese. How are you going to season your Lamburgers? Are you just going to use your classic fennel and garlic rub? Veggie rub. Veggie saves rub. It Sounds every really time. good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's why they call it veggie, because it goes on burger. <laughs> Uh, the other thing you that. left out of this, which is still around and delicious at the moment, which is either artichokes um, or fennel. Yeah, Both fennel. are really, artichokes are just probably, by Memorial Day, they kind of be ending the season. You might get into the middle of June. What uh, would you do with the fennel? I'm more inclined towards that. I would make a relish for the burger. I would no. caramelize it and just make this nice. You know how we do that with onions, browned onions? Mm-hmm. You can do the same with fennel or even a combination of because sometimes a lot of brown onions like that are overwhelming. Yeah, absolutely. Whereas the fennel gets licorice and bright and, and, and tasty. I like it crispy. I like it raw better. You like it raw better than cooked? Yeah. Have you well, ever you had could... it cooked? <laughs> yeah, no. Exactly. Have you had it cooked? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you could marinate it in lemon and, or lime like we were talking about earlier. Still part of a salad. If you marinate hot vegetable the day before, you know, they tend to rise and they, they really pick up the flavor. So... You could do that, you know, a little lemon, olive oil. You could even put a little heat in there, a little harissa if you want to. That would really part with the fennel and everything would stay. It's still crunchy, but it has a very give uh, tenderness to it. So, Good idea. Good. And to drink, sparkling lemonade, I would a do spritzer, some, I'd do some, sweet uh, tea. Not I'd, sweet tea. I'd do some uh, infusion tea from uh, Smith. I've been drinking that tea. That's really delicious. It's not a tea. It's an infusion. And, uh, an you, herbal, you do it, uh, like a tisane? It's called something night, like I want to say sweet night or something like that. Really beautiful mix of gorgeous herbal and uh, flowers. And uh, you make that cold with a little bit of honey and bring that to your picnic and you put that on ice. and Put it right next to the big bottle of ouzo. That's, <laughs> that's uh, right next to the sizzle platter the over the charcoal grill that's full of scarmosa. And this then is once what you the, drink once the at, cheese is melted, you just this, hit it with some ooze. This is what you drink at 5 p.m. when the sun is really hitting hard. But after that, you start drinking the pastis and bring it out. I know. So uh, what, I know the, uh, the French call it uh, what? Uh, uh, with the balls. Oh, pétanque. pétanque. Yeah, you pay what, pétanque. I don't know what the Greeks call it, but we would have to play pétanque and drink ouzo. Yeah, seems, I'm in. Seems to me. A jaunty snap of a quick pickle, like fennel, maybe. Up next on Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Now let me get this straight. Put the lime in the coconut to drink water. Put the lime in the coconut to drink water. Put the lime in the coconut to drink water. Put the lime in the coconut to call the doctor. Woke up, said doctor. Ain't there nothing I can take a sip?
Welcome back for the final segment of our first hour of the Hot Stove Society show on Cairo. We're thrilled that you're joining us. Hopefully you're out there in the garden or having a nice Memorial Day picnic with all of the suggestions that we've made for you. Uh, my name is Tom Douglas, and I'm happy to be here, owner of this uh, lovely facility, the Hot Stove Society and the Hotel Andra. And I'm Terry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. Chef, uh, you're eating your nice uh, breakfast that comes fabulous, with the ticket. Fabulous, But breakfast. I didn't remember seeing you buy a ticket, and you, yet you still got breakfast. I know. <laughs> you know what I heard? Just show up. Just show up. <laughs> I see how it is. <laughs> Pamela, you enjoy the jaunty snap of a quick pickle. <clears throat> You are enamored of, with this subject because yes, uh, you like vinegars. You're a shrub vinegar. gal, if, yeah. I re, if I know you well enough. Do you I have a... I love fake? cucumbers. You love cucumbers in a quick pickle. Yeah. Well, I want I mean, that's to learn, the easiest thing, the quick pickle. That's what I want to learn how to do. And I just saw this recipe for a sesame ginger cucumber. Uh-huh. And I said, that, that's right up my alley. I haven't made it yet. So I think the key there is, because when you start adding sesame or sesame oil to a pickle, you are identifying kind of a type of cuisine that you're having for dinner. Right. Yeah. Right? You're having Don't Japanese you think, food chef, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Or you're having something of that nature. So that to me is, is uh, what are you going to have with that pickle? Is that with a nice piece of steamed fish? Because that would be one of the things I would think about with that lovely little pickle is just a beautifully steamed, I have a bamboo steamer. Uh, beautifully steamed piece of salmon or halibut or, or black yeah. cod or something of that nature, yeah. And some buckwheat noodles. And some buckwheat noodles. Soba. <laughs> oh, yeah. Soba, Look yeah. at Soda. the smile on her face. Yeah. What's with the buckwheat noodles? Oh, he's so delicious. But I know. What, what I was trying to think about with, for this segment was each person having their own signature quick pickle that they made as a hostess gift uh-huh. so that you know tom had his terry had his and like when you go to someone's house you could bring them this beautiful jar of a quick a pickle that you made that they so they'd have this customized uh, condiment in their refrigerator and they would remember you with fondness so, so you know i always use a three to one basis of pickling which is basically a sweet and sour recipe it's three waters, two vinegar. I'm sorry, three water, two sugar, one vinegar. So those are the portions. If you do one, three cup, two cup, one cup. Now you can take that recipe and change it as you want more vinegar, less sugar, because the, the two components that are most, mostly highlighted are sugar and water. I mean, sugar and uh, pickle, vinegar. I mean, so you can interchange those two by. Lowering down the sugar, hiring the vinegar. So now you have a much more stringent vinegary kind of pickle. The rest to that, and you have to think about that, is to add spices to it or herbs or whatever you're going to do. So right now in the, in the backyard, there is galore chives, blossom and chives. So you take that and you whack a bunch of it and you put it into your... So you, you bring that whole bunch of liquids to a boil. Then you turn off the fire. Then you put in your, all your herbs in there. Because your herbs don't need as much time. Right. They would be finishing. So you put, the, you put all your chives in there. Maybe you could do a tarragon one, a chives one, which are the herbs that are in the garden right now. And you could, you know, as the roses come out, we were talking about rose hips earlier. You know, rose hips are delicious in pickle as well. You put so are the blossoms. So yeah. are the, the petals. Yeah. yeah, the petals. Yeah, you put Except them in there. to make sure they haven't been pesticided out. Well, not in your garden, not fully. Well, some, some people do. Oh, yeah. But there's nothing like that in my garden. So um, <laughs> I do use those, you know, and all kind of blossom that comes up. So 
Now you have a few selection of pickle, of pickling juice that's ready to go, and you can choose what you're going to go and put in there. Chef, let's go back a minute, because your combination of ingredients, and I know you say they're adjustable, you say three, two, one, three water, two sugar, one vinegar. Correct. I never use water. And, and I will say that one of the reasons that, um, like, like if you're pickling cucumbers, uh, there's so much water in cucumbers, they, you know, they water out immediately that... Uh, I just don't understand the quantity of water that you use. What is, what is, di- its, what is its use? It's a diluting purpose. Just of, to dilute the vinegar? Yeah, just to dilute the vinegar and uh-huh. the sugar. It's both of them in terms of strengths. So, again, you can adjust that and go. Yeah, I know. I, uh, but adjusting for me is uh, leaving out three cups of a five-cup well, you, you definitely will have to change that to your vinegar and your sugar being uh-huh. much higher uh-huh. in volume. That's interesting because I, I just don't understand the water. It's a mild... My, my version of that is a very mild pickle. Right. You were talking about cucumber. Like, you know, when you go, often when you go to a Japanese restaurant, it's the first thing they give you toasted sesame and cucumber that's been pickled. It's a very quick pickle. It's thinly sliced yeah. cucumber, very thinly pickled. I mean, probably that evening. It, it uh, only takes or, five minutes. Yeah, or maybe yeah. even early, not that far away. Yeah. And um, it pickles very quickly. Thin cucumbers are, like Tom said, all water. So it pickles very quickly. There's not much resistance to any acids. And on top of that, all you have to do is just toss, toss in the uh, toasted sesame seeds right on top. And you get this wonderful... Yeah, it makes vegetable. more sense to me to put the sesame at the end. In the recipes I read, the water was usually to dissolve your solids, uh-huh. right. your salt and your sugar. Right. Yeah. So... I, Which I mean, is I fine. Guess I'm just saying they, they dissolve in the vinegar, too. So yeah. typically v- vinegar is, uh, you know, most commonly 5% astringent. It's just not a super strong right. to begin with. So I think another interesting thing about quick pickling is the combination of vegetables that you use. We talked about fennel. You can easily make a quick pickle out of fennel, but it's a boring-looking pickle if you don't do something with it, right? So right. your chai blossoms would work. Would work. Uh, yeah, I don't necessarily just want yellow fennel. I, I, I'm saying you know use fennel, then a sliver a little Fresno pepper, or you know which is a red right. kind of ripe right. jalapeno-looking pepper. Uh, just put slivers of this in there, so a sliver of uh, green onion. So now you have the dark green, the red, and the blonde fennel. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, to me, is part of what makes a quick pickle more interesting on the, on the visual palette. Sure. What's a pickle that's not a quick pickle? Is there a long pickle? Sure. Say so any canned pickle. Well, like if you do, if like you do dill. Pickle or... Oh, okay. I, I didn't quick get Quick is this. non-canned, essentially. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Quick pickle, quick pickle is something you can actually... Make enough and serve within the hour. I mean, depends yeah. on what you're pickling, but you know, most of the vegetables and fruits you're going to pickle. Oh yeah, fruits too, by the way. Yeah, fruit. Pickled Berries. cherries. Pickled cherries are very. Pickled common. cherries yeah. coming up in season. Strawberries do really well, especially green strawberries. You know, we started eating green strawberries, which is whatever it is, not exactly my flavor, but. Uh, yeah, I like me green, either, but I like red strawberries. You know, I think John Sundstrom made those popular. I think I, I never Maybe. was a green strawberry guy. No, I'm not. Not this. I don't know if you remember last night on the menu at uh, Eight Row. The had I thought it was cute. They had a pickle plate, but it was called the unseasonable, un, the unseasoned, oh, unseasoned. I didn't see that. Unseasonal. Not unseasoned pickle plate. Unseasonal. Unseasonal pickle plate. I thought that was cute because you know they were just using things that they were trying to preserve. 
as they move forward. Right. Uh, the one thing I was surprised last night, I thought about it after I got home, was, you know, such a vegetable-forward menu there at 8 Row. There wasn't an asparagus on the menu, was there? I didn't see one. It's in the middle of asparagus season. I just thought it was kind of funny that, because there were so many good turnips. and Oh, so many vegetables. We just so many farms. Uh, thinned the turnips at Prosser Farm, and we sautéed, you did all, you know, sure. tiny little turnips with the greens. We just thinned them and then sautéed those up the other night for dinner. Oh, so good. In brown butter, that stuff is oh, yeah. killer. It's killer. Oh. Okay, let's jump into hour number two when we come back. It's Tom Douglas, Terry Rotaro, Pamela Hinckley, and Sean McFadden right here in the kitchen at Hot Stove 97.3 FM. If I knew you were coming, I'd bake a cake, bake a cake, bake a cake. If I knew you were coming, I'd bake a cake. How'd you do? How'd you do? All right, we're back here in the hot stove kitchen in downtown Seattle, Fourth in Virginia. Come join us sometime. We hope you're out having fun this Memorial Day weekend. Uh, we're going to welcome into our kitchen. Well, I first should tell you that we have another full hour of deliciousness coming your way, including a, f- a food for thought tasty trivia. We're also going to talk uh, sushi for a segment here when, when we're uh, later in the show. But first, we're going to welcome in the founders of the Pastry Project, Emily Kim and Heather Hodge. They're going to join us for a couple of segments and talk about their mission their deliciousness that they've brought us. You know, uh, you guys, we always think, we always trash the people that come on our show and they'll bring us any treats. You guys have gone over the top yeah. with treats. You can come back anytime. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> and Pamela herself uh, baked these cookies from the pucks. Backbreaking. Work. Backbreaking. <laughs> I, I would have sworn I, I would have sworn I saw Chef Bridget do it, and you taking all the credit for it. Yeah. Uh, and anyway, tell us about your mission, uh, the whole project that you have going on. It sounds exciting. It sounds like a marriage of a couple of different things, like anything from uh, what I call common meals, but it's it's called Fair Start now, to uh, the Hot Stove Society, a cooking school. So you've you've got a little hybrid all in between. Yeah, so we started the pastry project back in 2019 uh, with the mission of making baking and pastry education more accessible to individuals, especially individuals seeking a job in the baking and pastry industry. And so that's really how our mission started, was creating that curriculum and that program um, that is an intensive program that uh, students come and take, and uh, after those 14 weeks, they graduate, and we support them with job placement in the industry. So the job in, placement is the easiest part of that, is my guess. Yeah. I mean, so these in, days, it's pretty good. Yeah. In, in our industry, it is definitely a lack. There's a lack of pastry people training pastry program. That is definitely something that we lack, for mm-hmm. sure. Um, you can find top pastry chefs coming from certain places around the country, but to find pastry cook, it's very difficult most people have a cooking training, but they don't have a pastry training. Thank you for doing that. Yeah, absolutely. No, and we, we completely agree um, that that baking and pastry training is more challenging to come by, and there's less programs out there, and uh, there are no programs that we know of in Seattle that are free, and so we created one that was totally free, and oh, so wow. this program is absolutely free to um, our students, uh, and in addition to that, we provide a transit stipend, child care stipend, uh, a program support stipend, just mm-hmm. so that 
that if there's anything that a student needs to help them make it to class uh, during those 14 weeks, they are supported in that way. So let's start from the beginning. You're a nonprofit? So we are not a nonprofit. We thought about um, becoming a nonprofit in the very beginning, but we actually ended up <laughs> incorporating as a social purpose corporation. So we are a business. We always knew that we wanted to be as self sustaining as we could be, and we were super creative people. We love pastries. We knew we were going to create products eventually and um, be able to sell them to raise the money ourselves to support everything that we do in our kitchen. So that's what we're doing. So we have a lot of different. Uh, ways that we earn revenue. As you mentioned, we do public-facing classes. We have our cookie dough line and our pastry kit subscription, which we're going to get into later. But um, we really just wanted the um, freedom to build the program the way that we wanted to build it, build our business the way that we wanted to build it, um, be able to be flexible and creative and, and just have fun with it as well, and also prove to other businesses that you can have a totally... Um, mission-driven um, social impact program within your business that you can give back to the community and also have a profitable business as well. Mm-hmm. Bravo to you. Yeah. Very, very good model. You know, the, the term uh, the cathedral within was uh, yeah. kind of uh, talked about by Bill Shore of Share Our Strength, which is the same idea for a lot of nonprofits. Fair Start does it with their lunches and dinners and Uh, But they also live on grants. You know, that's really their big revenue source. Do you have any sort of grants or... Did you guys put up your own seed money to get this going? Because I I imagine it took a little effort to get it going. It definitely took some effort and... We, we give so much credit to some of our neighborhood partners in Pioneer Square because our location is in Pioneer Square. We have a beautiful workshop education kitchen there um, as well as production kitchen. We kind of do it all. Uh, and we started our pilot program with a um, neighborhood grant from the BIA there. And then we were able to get some grant funding through um, Historic South Downtown um, to be able to actually build out the space. And And so we did start with some grant funding, which we're very, very grateful for. And Emily and I had to work really, really hard to just keep things going and bringing some some money in. And we just paid for things as it came. And here we're going to buy this freezer now and we're going to install these things that we need for the kitchen. And we just went step by step with it and um, put a lot of, you know, sweat into it, Mm -hmm. both ourselves and our families and our loved ones that um, helped support us. But we are so grateful to the Pioneer Square neighborhood and um, those orgs that help keep that neighborhood thriving and beautiful and um, going up and up from here. Mm -hmm. What's the requirement to start the program? So when we originally started the program, we, and I mean still to this day, we wanted it to be for anyone that had barriers to opportunity and education and employment in the pastry industry. We just saw there was such a barrier to getting that experience you needed to get that first pastry job. And so we left the barriers pretty broad and they're still pretty broad today. But some of the kind of specific ones that we run into a lot are, um, you know, people that are extremely low income, um, maybe single mothers. We've had a lot of in our program. We've had people coming out of homelessness. We've had people in, you know, transitional housing. We've had people coming out of incarceration, things like that. So it is a wide variety of 
of barriers. We work with a lot of nonprofits. So we work with around 30 or so nonprofits that we let know when applications are live. And if they're working with people in their programs that they think would be a really good fit for ours, they refer them. So that's how we find a lot of our students as well. And there's some really key things that are super important to us when candidates are coming our way. There's a lot of people who are super excited and and passionate about baking, but maybe they just want to be a home baker. They want to learn some things. And we get a ton of applicants from uh, individuals who are really excited about baking, but maybe don't want a career in the industry. And for us, we have this really intimate, intensive training program. We only take uh, just a few folks a year that we train and mentor. And so we are looking for individuals who are passionate about baking and pastry and excited about getting a job in the industry and starting a career in the industry. Those are the individuals that we are gearing towards with our program so that we can support those individuals that are looking to you know, create that career, career and grow a livelihood mm. in the industry. I think it's super important that that second part is possibly somebody who has some entrepreneurial spirit and and taking this into a whole, maybe even replicating what you're doing in mm-hmm. another city or something of that nature. So when we come back, let's talk a little bit about all these these delicious looking cookies that you've brought our way on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, ninety-seven three FM. We're back with Emily Kim and Heather Hodge. Their project is called the Pastry Project, and it's many things. Job training, taking baked cookies, soft serve, and public and private classes. So we talked a little bit about your 501c3 side, which you're not really, but, you know, the, the nonprofit side. Tell us how you're making money and how you're creating the cathedral within to continue your mission. Yeah, so I'll talk about one of the main ways, and Heather's going to talk about one of the other main ways. So um, we have a really amazing pastry kit subscription. This actually started in the beginning of the pandemic. We wanted people to be able to bake at home, and we you know, couldn't host classes in person at that time. We were doing a lot of online things, and so we wanted to come up with something that we could ship to people and that they could so that they could bake at home. So we have kept that going and it's super popular and we're super proud of it. And um, Heather and the culinary team uh, at the Pastry Project come up with really delicious um, kits that are all of the dry mixes and ingredients to make a pastry at home. And um, this month, May is a strawberry cheesecake. So you're going to get all of the things to make a strawberry compote. Um, You're going to get all of the things to make that um, cream cheese cake filling and the graham cracker crust. And then you just need a few perishable ingredients like your cream cheese and your butter um, and things like that. We try to keep it really simple so that you don't have to go out and get a lot of things or you usually probably have it in your pantry, but uh, we change it up. We keep it fun and seasonal. It's something really fun to do with with your kids or your grandkids. Um, We get such great feedback on these kits and and how much fun people have making them at home. So It's a good way for you to try your skill to see if you've progressed in the pastry section. It even comes with chef that comes with a tart shell too. I know, I saw yeah. Well, it's the mold. It doesn't come with a shell. It's just a shell, yeah. Not the, <laughs> yeah. Not the, the tartlet not the mold. mold. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A little tartlet mold, yep. Uh-huh. So, That's awesome. So great uh, project. Like, for example, I have a grandson who mm-hmm. loves to cook. 
This will be a super fun project. He might be a little too young. He's two, but uh, Hercules, Hercules is... Uh, last night we were cutting Rory. cheese together with a sharp knife, and he was very excited about using the sharp knife. So. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we really wanted... Again, this is making... Learning about baking and pastry um, and baking at home more accessible. And uh, even at home, it can be a challenge to look at a recipe and say, uh, okay, I have to go, go get all these things from the store. Then we have to measure. That's always the part, even in classes that people and with our kids that people say, I'm so happy that everything is pre-measured for me. <laughs> um, and so there's a ton of people out there that just want that first step of baking to be mm-hmm. a little bit more easy and then just also have this fun recipe that's right in front of them that maybe they would have never made before. Like maybe they've never made a cheesecake before. Now it's time to make that cheesecake and see how fun and easy it is to make. And that will hopefully inspire more baking in the future as well. All right. You also brought uh, four packages of the Pastry Project cookie dough. So this one is the, the butterscotch birthday cookie. Yes. Which I just had a bite of. Super good and crunchy and delicious. Are they are they non refrigerated? So those are the displays, but we brought you oh, okay. we brought you one of each that are in your freezers right yeah. now too. Oh, okay, so, cool. Yeah. So they in the fr- freezer case. That's exactly right. So this is a frozen um, uh, take and bake dough line, and we started this uh, working on this dough line a number of years ago. We uh, have our students a very very first method that they learn in our free training program is the creaming method. So they learn how to properly cream and emulsify the ingredients, um, make sure that um, we have this nice fluffy batter, then the dry goes in, the chocolate, any inclusions. And that is a very, very first method. And we love this recipe Mm -hmm. that we have that we use for the students. And we want our recipes to inspire students to continue baking through being so excited about this thing that they made. And so we decided to take that um, recipe that our uh, customers had been enjoying over the years and turn it into something that you would have in your freezer and could bake straight from the freezer Mm -hmm. at home. So um, you can purchase these, uh, this take and bake dough at PCC as well as through Smith Brothers. And um, you can also pick it up from our uh, shop in Pioneer Square once a month as well. Lovely. Hey, Chef, I, you heard me tease in the beginning because uh, there's some claim here that uh, the Pastry Project has the recipe for the perfect <laughs> chocolate chip cookie. Are you a chocolate chip cookie fan? Um, I have become because of you. Oh, okay. How many chips is in your cookie is the first question. What percentage of chocolate? <laughs> I know. That's, we got into this with Hello Robin. What percentage of chocolate is the perfect chocolate chip cookie? You know, our chocolate chip cookies definitely have a lot, a lot of, chocolate of chocolate in it. Yeah, I mean, uh, this Nobody is a really... Counts. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> this is a super, super high-quality um, dough. We use really incredible ingredients. Um, we use... I think like the most chocolate in our chocolate chip cookie. In addition to that, uh, just because you can bake at home, um, I think that that's the thing for us that makes this cookie dough really, really perfect because you go to a pastry shop um, and maybe you get a cookie and it's really tasty, but it doesn't feel like that fresh, amazing cookie. Just being able to have this fresh, amazing cookie dough, um, 
uh, that's baked at home that you get to enjoy 10 minutes after it comes out of the oven. Still it's just warm. Per- yeah. still warm. Like yeah. that's Ooh. what's perfect. Mm-hmm. And you know, we decided to keep that name, the perfect chocolate chip cookie and, and use it, um, for that specific, uh, cookie that has, it's a brown sugar dough with dark chocolate. It's 70% dark chocolate, milk chocolate. It's sprinkled with flaky sea salt. Mm-hmm. And so you have to do nothing but put it on a tray and bake it off. And we call it the perfect because it's our perfect. You know, everyone has their version of a perfect chocolate chip cookie. I like that. And so it's, it's our perfect. perfect. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. And so, you know, it's all based off of opinion, but we love it and we vetted it for years. And so it's our perfect chocolate chip cookie. How long does it take for someone to graduate? It's a 14-week program. 14 weeks. Yes, 14 week, weeks, and it's an intensive, and, and our students learn a ton across um, those 14 weeks. You know, we start with the creaming method, but then we go into um, quick breads, cakes and fillings, buttercreams, tarts and pies, um, pat to make amazing eclairs and cream puffs, you know, just a ton of things. And then in addition to that, um, we work on uh, other parts uh, that are really important in the industry, like uh, attendance and professional and effective communication. And those things that are really, really key for keeping a job and having a positive attitude in the workplace so that maybe you don't know everything, but at least you can go to a job and have a great attitude and um, be ready to learn some more. I think it's very important you get that word into the restaurant business because I think many restaurants could use somebody like that. Oh, for uh, sure. Yeah. You know, it's like it's often restaurants can afford to have a $100,000 pastry chef, executive pastry chef, whatever, because it's too much for a restaurant. But very often they would love to have a pastry cook. Absolutely. And I think that would be a great, great place to be able to move on to from your program. Before, really, we run, mm-hmm. before we run out of time, Chef, I think you mentioned somebody that we had on the show as one of their success stories. Yes. We had uh, Shikolina. Yes. Hannah and, Johannes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's very awesome. She's on Union next to a Communion restaurant on uh, 23rd and Union. And uh, she's doing an awesome job. And mm-hmm. it's really remarkable what she's doing all by herself. She's dedicated for sure. She is such a dedicated individual. And I mean, we saw it so quickly when she was in our very, very first cohort, actually. Um, We saw it so quickly how dedicated and passionate she was. And um, she just got it in her. She's and she's doing an amazing job. And we are just so excited for her and so excited for, you know, everything she's going to do in her baking and pastry career. Chicolina is the name of it. If Mm -hmm. you want to check it out. Great place to buy some great cookies or beautiful devil cake, too, she makes. Mm. All right, so how do people sign up for your pastry project? I think you probably said it earlier, but let's say it again. Yeah, so you can find our pastry kit subscriptions um, at thepastryproject.co, and um, you can follow us on Instagram at thepastryproject underscore, and we link a lot of things in our Instagram profile as well. Um, And, yeah, those are kind of the main ways. You can stop by our, our shop front in Pioneer Square, uh, it's on Main uh, between 2nd and 1st. 165 South Main. Yeah. That's the exact mm-hmm. address. Right. Go ahead and say hi to uh, Emily and Heather down at the Pastry Project. I plan on it myself. Chef, you and I should make a little I will definitely you. Field trip. So Can we take a radio field trip down there? Oh, yeah. Yes, please. We'd All love right. to have you. Yeah. When we come, time, come back, it's time for Limitless Fun of Sushi at Home on Cairo Radio, 97.3 FM.
in the kitchen. What an inspiring group. Uh, Emily and Heather were. Uh, we, we missed a couple of things when we were talking to them in the last segment, so I just want to mention their cookbook and tool lending library. Yes, at their physical space in Pioneer Square. They... Hours, this is the pastry project. The pastry project. The hours are limited, so feel free to call and check out their website. But they're so versatile because they have the public classes. They've got the community kitchen space that you can visit. You can have a private cooking class with them there. And um, we just can't wait till their soft serve opens in June, So that's, three days uh, a week. Yeah, I think she said July and August, didn't she say? Or did she say yeah. three months? You know, I have have some old pastry books I should just drop to them for their library. Brilliant. Uh They would appreciate it. Yeah, Yeah, of course. That's a good idea. Well, I mean, we have a lending library here at the hot stove, and people rarely use it. I think it's it's, kind of interesting because there's some modern books, unlike Jerry's books, which are ancient. We actually have relevant modern books here at the Hot Stove Society. Yeah, mine are still useful, though. They get the basics covered. (laughs) Escoffier. Yeah. (laughs) No, I'm just teasing. Um, but anyway, so I think that's important. And plus, the tools. I'm curious tools. about the tools right. because... We've got to go look at them. Yeah, because if you're a part-time baker, and I know I have an entire <laughs> cupboard in my garage. Let's see, what? Four foot by seven foot tall cabinet in my garage just for baking supplies. Between bread baking and all the pastry and all the different tart pans and you name it. So sometimes it would be nice if you're going to... The other night, I, I did a dinner for 16, and I had to go buy 16 ramekins. Oh. It would have been nice to know, and I could have maybe borrowed them borrowed from, them, yeah. from a, a lending kitchen. So yeah. Great resource. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a super cool part of what they're doing down there at the Pastry Project. Go see them. Sign up for their, uh, for their delivery service, their uh, once-a-month Pastry Project kit. Uh, Pamela, you have a book in front of you from our friend Mr. Jose Andres. Vegetables Unleashed. Uh-huh. And? It's very inspirational, but the chapters that I'm most um, excited about are the thing, the versions he does of homemade sushi. Because I think uh, high-level sushi, the rarefied shops that have the exquisite cutters with the really pristine fish mm-hmm. have scared a lot of people away from thinking that there's a way to do sushi at home. But there is a there's a homemade version of combining your rice and whatever ingredients you desire to come up with a simple dinner. And one of the things that I learned in reading through this book is the the big difference between the onigiri rice balls and that whole family and sushi is whether or not the rice is seasoned with vinegar. vinegar. Rice vinegar. Rice vinegar. So the the simple um, rice balls, the onigiri, that I think would be great to do with kids or at a party is the unseasoned rice, and then you just prepare a bunch of fillings and you 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 stuff it into the ball and it's nigiri stands for handheld so commonly they'll take the piece of nori and wrap it around and make a little finger hold with seaweed it seaweed wrapper yeah a seaweed wrapper and the the most common one that you see is that real beautiful triangle mm-hmm. right so tri- but um, it's limitless what you can put in there Oh, for sure. But I'm surprised you uh, have read that that isn't seasoned rice in that particular dish. 
Uh, because I've always used regular kind of sushi seasoned rice. For well, my I, I prefer that. Yeah, I mean, it's, there's nothing, no reason not to. It sticks together. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, uh, it was the original Japanese de- definition okay. of the difference. Okay. But I think um, we all want to season our rice. Yeah, you want it seasoned. And, and we were talking about pickled vegetable earlier in the, in the show. It would go really well with a wrapper like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, any kind of pickled vegetable at different level, then you could wrap with your rice and your seaweed. That would be perfect. Yeah. You can make a wonderful wasabi uh, mayonnaise or wasabi aioli and then, you know, use that as a, as a filler on top of the rice. That would also be a delicious, gooey little thing to add to your... Uh, <laughs> I'm just we did such it. an ex- exploration of onigiri for when we were consulting with Nordstrom on the project in Manhattan. Uh, Adrian Chamberlain yes. uh, did a whole batch of different ones and... The ones that made the cut were the pickled carrots, the shredded pickled carrots in the onigiri. Oh, I love that. And then uh, the pickled beets in the onigiri, so mm-hmm. they came out purple, the orangish speckled with the pickled carrots. Yeah. And uh, we did the powdered uh, mushroom, powdered shiitake uh, in the onigiri. I mean, there was just, it's so easy to yeah. come up with your own flavor profile. One of the things in, in Jose's book, which uh, I really liked, was the Nori Taco Fiesta. I know. It just that is a party waiting I know. to happen. I mean, sushi has become such an international flavor love and texture love uh, that while it might seem weird that this world-famous Spanish chef is doing a taco party, it, it makes total sense. How does he... Uh, well, he's got... Um, of course, he seasons his rice. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the filling suggestions were... Far-reaching. It could be caviar. It could be kimchi, or a Catalan-style spinach mushroom dexel would be oh. gorgeous yeah. in this. Baby pig. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> peppers, roasted vegetables, and then importantly, uh, you need some condiments. Of course, the pickles. But he also suggests uh, ponzu and sriracha, and a mojo verde sauce. So. I'm sure the guacamole is in there somewhere. <laughs> Even saffron, saffron that's used a lot in Spanish cooking. Oh, you could use would that in your so rice. Good. That would be you know what's, what's what I like about this is that when you go to the store these days, even Costco has pallets full of these seasoned seaweeds. They're in about a little rectangle or square, about two inches by three inches or something, maybe three by four, and you just pull them out and people eat them as snacks sometimes. But they're also a great wrap. And I think that's what he's using in his, where yeah. you take that flat piece of nori, the, sea, the dried seaweed, you put your sushi rice on top, a yeah. dollop of it, and then you top it from there. That's the yeah. taco part, right? It's an open-faced yeah. sandwich. It's yeah, an open-faced it's, it's, sandwich But it's seaweed. handheld, and you just squeeze it together, and yeah. next thing you know, you're, you're, yeah. you've got a hand roll. And, that, and that's by the way, the this thing. is really, really good for you, by the way. And this is one way for us to start. Ah, what are you saying, chef? I'm saying it's delicious. Well, yes. Okay, I'm, I'm oh. agreeing with you. Nutritional. Uh, I'm not sure. Carrots? Yeah, but a bunch of sticky white rice? Uh, uh, no, all things in moderation. This rice. belly right here yeah. is all teriyaki <laughs> sticky r- white Tom, rice. Rice just doesn't bring anything to the table, but it doesn't take away. Uh, just make more vegetable on top and, you know, just use some baked uh, purple potato, I mean, uh, sweet potato. Well, you could do that instead of the rice if you wanted to. With the rice, you could do both. If you still have to have rice, you have to understand some people need to have rice. 
No, I, I'm not disagreeing, but Chef, you stated unequivocally that this is good for you. I say it doesn't hurt you. It <laughs> does no. It's a nice way to eat. It doesn't bring anything to the table, but it's delicious. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I was going to say it's not bad for you if you don't do that every single day. Right. Again, everything in moderation and in balance. Now let's talk about furikake. What about furikake? Um, because it's so versatile and it's a new to my pantry. Mm-hmm. In, in the last year or so. You want to figure out how to use it. I want to figure out how to use it. But your Tokyo rub was um, inspired by... Togarashi. Togarashi. Which is more of a chili-based uh, uh, spice More blend. chili than Japanese seaweed. often use it like salt and pepper in a soup or yeah. you know something. But furikake is a shredded seaweed, seaweed. sesame seed. It can have anything in it. I swear. I know. Oh, there's so many flavors at Wajibaya. Dried Ryan egg, now. dried bonito. I mean, it's, it can have any you sort of flavor You can use it just profile. about anywhere. I mean, it's... I love it on eggs. On, on eggs is great. On, on sticky eggs. rice is great. It's yeah. even great on finishing your soup. If you have a oh. nice little soup, like a fish soup, you can just throw a bunch of that at the end. It, extra flavor and... No, this weekend, uh, Memorial Day weekend, make macaroni salad. Like, a lot of people make macaroni salad for their picnic. Definitely. Add sriracha. <laughs> now you've got a spicy mac salad, and then top it with furikake, oh, and you've got a delicious Yum. furikake okay, sticky Tom. rice salad. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's got a That's nice crunchy finish. <laughs> exactly. And you've got the sesame seed and the crunchy seaweed. I love it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So oh, that's multi versatile. Super good for you. Yeah, oh, super good for you. Not the macaroni, but the. I uh, love the way you the said that. Furikake. Oh, and it's good for you. <laughs> This is the one thing my doctor said. You eat a lot of white rice when he looked at me. How did you know? All right, let's play some Food for Thought Tasty Trivia brought to you by Rub with Love Spice Rubs on Cabo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Welcome back. It's time for Rub With Love Tasty Trivia, brought to you by Rub With Love Spice Rubs, our personal line of chef-inspired rubs, a lively shallot mustard, and four deeply rich sauces. Uh, With these tools in your pantry, you are ready to turn every meal into a feast the following fine retailers are happy to help you with your Memorial Day picnic. Us right here at the hot stove down at Sea uh, Town, we have the entire selection. Because that's what's hard to find sometimes is the entire selection. I know it. Yeah. Out at the warehouse in Ballard, uh, Metropolitan Markets, Town and Country Markets, Tacoma Boys, B&E Meats, Wild Salmon Seafood in the, in, over at Fisherman's Terminal there, and Payless Foods on Whidbey Island are just a few of the many places you can find our Rub With Loves. Pamela, uh, tell the folks how we play this game and tell them how I'm going to win today. <laughs> well, we're going to have to reverse the question. Well, I've got three wonderful contestants, Tom, Terry, and Bridget, and they're each going to get five questions. And someone is going to get the most right. That's right. And whoever gets the most right gets to pick one audience member to go for a free ride 
for three rubs in our gift shop. Wow. wow. That's exciting. Gary? Or we could just be generous and give each person one rub. Let's do that. I think everybody You like that, that better? Yeah. All right. All right. They're all winners. We don't yeah, have to play. Let's go. Okay. <laughs> Question number one, Chef in the Hat. Go ahead. Hit me. Where's the beef? is a catchphrase in the United States and Canada introduced uh, in 1984 by which fast food chain? Where's the beef? Uh, was it? Boy, was Jeff, is a, Jeff is at a disadvantage. That was uh, Jacques dans la boîte. As in Jack in the box. <laughs> I'm no. going to try, try that one. It's Wendy's. 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 Okay. Um, number two, what berry, starting with a B, was grown and named after a California horticulturist who crossed European raspberry, European blackberry, American dewberry, and loganberry. It got a lot of seeds. I'm gonna go. It starts with a B. B. Starts with a B. B. A lot of fruit. Loganberry. Yes. <laughs> You're brilliant. Chef, a lot of fruit starts with a B. It's called a pollinator. He got it. Oh. According to 18th century satirist Jonathan Swift, he was a bold man that first ate what bivalve that comes both in Blue Point and Kumamoto. Oysters. Yes. Uh, number four, what is the name of the Japanese snack food first sold in 1966, initially described as a chocolate biscuit stick? Oh. There are now additional oh. flavored coatings such as almond, oh, strawberry, them, green tea, banana. Starts with a P. Pocky sticks. Pocky. Pocky. Oh. You know what? I like them. They're delicious. I love them. <laughs> but I couldn't remember the name. Number five, technically translated, translating directly as candy from milk. What is the name of the confection from Latin America prepared by slowly heating sweetened milk to create a brown substance which is used as a dessert or topping? I know exactly what you're talking about. The caramel... Uh, Sometimes they make yeah. a cake out of it. Yeah, the Starts with a D. Oh, no, da, 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 da. The... the Dolce de leche. I had to give you a clue because it's only a two-hour show. That's cooling out of the... Putting out of the brain memory that will burn in the back. <laughs> I give them a three out of five. <laughs> okay, good showing. Bridget? Oh. Yes, Pam. If you order a dish of Indian food, which includes chana, you'll be treated to a legume that goes by two different common names in English. Uh, could you guess either one of those? Lentil or split pea? Ah. Chana dal. Chana dal. My... Um, Source said chickpea, but I, okay, I, I trust you. Number well, two. Well, there's your first mistake. <laughs> oh. The uh, Food oh. and Drug Administration's first commissioner, Harvey Washington Wiley, began serving in 1907. Who was president then? William Taft, Woodrow Wilson, or Theodore Roosevelt? Roosevelt. Correct. You're off to a strong start. He was my you guys were born in the same year, weren't you? <laughs> oh, easy there, Tiger. Uh, number three, what? She's on the second run. Dessert is known as a symbol of harvest time and is generally flavored with cinnamon, powder, ginger, nutmeg, and cloves. The world's largest 
the world's record for the largest of these desserts weighed uh, 3,600 pounds and measured 20 feet in diameter. Whoa. But I would, I would focus more on the harvest time and the seasonings. What is that dessert? Like a crisp, a cobbler, gingerbread. What if it's made from something that's round and orange? Oh, a pie. A pumpkin pie. I'm not sure I'm going to give that in. 3,600 pounds. Peasant's cabbage was an early term for what cruciferous plant that spiked in popularity in the 2000s? Oh, kale. Kale. Totally. Eight. We're still eating. Lacinato, right? Yeah. And number five, in ruminant animals, the rumen, reticulum, omasum, and obomasum are the four compartments of what organ which helps the animals ferment their food before digestion? It's the stomach. You got it. How'd she do? Four out of five. Nice, nice. job, Brigitte. She that one down. Nice job. Tom, it's up to you. Uh-oh, now she's got the stare down going on me. She's got a new hairdo, so I know, I'm distracted. She... <laughs> According to FDA regulations, Tom, what unit of volume of ice cream must weigh at least 4.5 pounds to be called ice cream? A gallon. Smarty pants. Correct. Number two. Name this mystery fruit. It is known as the king of fruits in some regions. It's known for its strong odor, thorn-covered rind. If you removed one letter from the fruit's name and repeated yourself, you'd have the name of a mega-successful 80s band. (laughs) What? Wait a minute. Jackfruit. (laughs) Breadfruit. Odor. Strong odor. Yeah, he's just named two of them that stink. (laughs) Uh, The thorn-covered rind. Jackfruit. Shout it out. Give him a lifeline. Durian. Durian! You don't get that one. The audience does. <laughs> you get a lifeline. Audience says, you're a loser. <laughs> Number three, what common vegetable is the most cultivated member of the Allium genus? Has an unknown country of origin, has been used for at least the seven years. Yes. And it's considered toxic for cats and dogs. Boston is a specific cultivar of what leafy vegetable? It is the variant is also known as butterhead. Oh, butter lettuce. Bib. I have bib lettuce. I don't <laughs> Boston is the cultivar. Does that mean the name? Yes. Okay. Alu, A-L-O-O, is a foodstuff found in many popular Indian dishes such as alu gobi. Alu refers to what common starchy food? Starchy food. Must be potatoes. In fact, it's potato. Yay! All right. Wow, four out of five for Tom, too. Oh, it's All right, that means uh, each of our guests today, we have four guests today. Each of you gets to go to the gift shop. Yay! And, and when, you, when you buy $100 worth of product, you get a free rub. <laughs> If you want to be part of the show, you can join the community on YouTube live at Tom Douglas and Co. Also, remember, if you miss any episode of our Hot Stove Society show on Cairo, you can listen via podcast. Just subscribe with your favorite podcast app. The show is produced by Pamela Hinckley. Our technical director is Sean McFadden. Our talented Cairo editor is Sean. Please don't ever call me Del Torre. <laughs> Thanks for listening and have a wonderful Memorial Day weekend. Oh, no.